the thing that angered me the most this past weekend about that Notre Dame game, Noah Eagle, Syracuse alum, was calling the game this weekend because the normal guy wasn't available. And he opened with, can you think of a better place to start college football season? And I thought, yes, America. Where they actually care about football, not Ireland. Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer, Season 4. Matt Pfeiffer and Joe Shell with you here. Uh, Joe, I, I know we kind of left abruptly in the spring, but you know, things happen. It, it was, uh, but we, we got a nice little summer break. And now uh, it is time to talk football again. It's hard to imagine that we have come back around and it is game week for Syracuse football. Yeah, you know, we missed some things. We missed uh, the ending of lacrosse season, (laughs) uh, the basketball tournament, lots of recruiting stuff. There'll be time to get back to all that, but it's game week. It is game week, and I'm very excited. I know you're excited. Uh, This is a really exciting year for Syracuse football because there's a lot of pieces back. Um, There's probably as many pieces back as in a long time and this off of a team that finished seven and six a year ago, including that loss in the pinstripe bowl. It, you've got your quarterback back. You've got your best receiver back in Aronde Gadsden. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about the 2023 edition of Syracuse football. On paper, this may be the best depth that we've had in the Dino Babers era. You know, you have multiple positions where if a key guy goes down, you don't feel like you're immediately screwed. If Schrader ends up not being healthy or he gets hurt again, you don't feel like you're out of it. You have guys, you have talent. You're not so reliant on Sean Tucker only. Like, you know, even last year, Sean Tucker, if he got hurt, we would have been like, oh, we're screwed. That's it. Yeah. When Garrett Schrader was out, you know, Carlos Del Rio Wilson looked okay, but you have more hope for him this year. The, the word is that he's developed nicely. You have a lot of transfers they've brought in for depth in the secondary and the defensive line. I think that's the main reason why the depth is what it is right now. And again, on paper, it looks good is the transfer portal. They've utilized it very effectively. I think Syracuse does as well as just about anybody on the transfer portal. You know, last year was disappointing when it came to the actual recruits out of high school but in the portal, they have done an unbelievable job. Dino Babers has done a great job, especially getting two new coordinators this year. I mean, you've got Jason Beck moving from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, and now you have Rocky Long becoming the defensive coordinator. And that didn't really affect anything in terms of... Yeah, yeah. they were funky moves where it's like nothing really changed. Yeah. You, you replaced one guy with his protege, and you repra- replaced another guy with his mentor. Yeah, it is very strange. So, yeah, because obviously Beck uh, was a protege to Anai. Uh, and now Rocky Long is the guy who created the three-three-five defense that Syracuse uses. So that defense is still going to be in place this year. Uh, so you don't have any of those major shifts that you get sometimes with coordinator changes. Um, and frankly, Beck has been with Anai so much, I think the offense is going to look relatively the same as well. So I think uh, that's that's really exciting. You are going to see uh, Beck, I've heard now, going from the booth. Uh, so we're going to have our offensive coordinator up above in the booth, which is different than the past several years under Dino, and I think that's probably better. That yeah. seems to be what more people As long as he's not lying in a hospital bed up there. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. So let's just, before we get too much into everything, let's just take a look at the schedule. And, and Joe, you look at the schedule this year, it's a lot kinder of a schedule than last year's was. Now, the first, you know, last year, the first six games were pretty easy or easier, and the last six were pretty brutal, except for maybe the BC game, which ended up being close anyway. This year, it's a little more divided up. There's a three-game stretch in the middle that's pretty rough, but you have a more manageable schedule at both ends, in the beginning and at the end. Um, it's a lot kinder to Syracuse than, honestly, the last two years have been. And uh, so it starts this Saturday with a game against Colgate out of the Patriot League, FCS. Uh, you know, Syracuse is going to be favoring that just out of pure physicality, right? Uh, kind of like Wagner last year and, and things like that. Then they've got Western Michigan coming in to the Dome the week after. Tim Lester, the former Syracuse coach, got fired after last year at Western Michigan. It's not going to be anything like the Western Michigan that came in in 2019 and gave Syracuse a game. Um, this is a team that's ranked between 126th and 128th out of 133. Uh, they have basically their entire line hit the transfer portal, a lot of changes, very different team. Tough for early game, though, at Purdue, September 16th. That is going to be one of those NBC 7 p.m. Big Ten games. Purdue lost their quarterback. They lost their main receiver. Um, but they did bring in a quarterback from Texas who's pretty decent. New coach there as Jeff Brom goes to his alma mater, Louisville. That'll be tough, but a very winnable road game early on for Syracuse. And then they have Army coming in for the first of a four-game series with the Knights, uh, with the Black Knights. And uh, September 30th, Clemson homecoming. Then October 7th at UNC, October 14th at Florida State, who I think might very well win the conference. Really tough three-game stretch there. Clemson is back to kind of – it's expected to kind of be back to what they've been, not the slightly easier version of Clemson of the last couple of years. Uh, Florida State is expected to be right back in the national contention. UNC has Drake May, who's a, a Heisman, a preseason Heisman candidate. Then you hit the bye, you go on the road to Virginia Tech. Hokies are toward the bottom of the conference, but it's still a Thursday night in Blacksburg. That's not easy. Uh, Boston College comes to the Dome November 3rd. That's a Friday nighter. November 11th against Pitt in Yankee Ooh. Stadium. Yeah, I don't like this. As a season ticket holder, I am very unhappy that I have been robbed of a home game and have not been given a ticket to this home game. If you look at the schedule, this is a home game. Yeah, Syracuse should have a ticket to it. Syracuse should have seven home games this year. Instead, it only has six because they're doing this game in Yankee Stadium in honor of apparently the hundredth anniversary of college football being played in Yankee Stadium, and apparently the first game was Syracuse and Pitt. I disagree with this. I don't think it's a good move. No. We have a hard enough time with Pitt, Correct. nevertheless, to have to move it to a neutral site. I don't like that at all, especially it, in it, November. You know, all jokes aside, it is unfair to the fans. Yeah, it really is. In taking away a home game didn't make the season ticket prices go down. They still went up yeah. considerably. Yeah. Uh, November 18th at Georgia Tech. Uh, Tech, new coach there. A uh, lot of issues recruiting there, and and so that potential win there. And Who then November are they? 20th, they have no identity anymore. Once they changed their offense, yeah. it was like they're just such a vanilla program that they don't really stand uh, out at all. They have no identity. 
uh, no identity and they, they have issues recruiting right now. It's just not, and they're a tough place to recruit. I mean, look what they're surrounded by uh, with Georgia and Clemson and, and even South Carolina now. And obviously if you go South Florida, Florida state, uh, not easy at all. And then they've got wake forest end the season, November 25th and, and a wake team that is going to look very different. Finally, a new quarterback in Winston Salem and uh, a team that, uh, you know, look, Dave Clawson's going to have them ready. We know that, especially by the end of the season. But uh, a, a beatable Wake team coming to the Dome. So uh, I think that's a, a pretty good schedule Syracuse has there. The big thing, they got to survive that three-game stretch in the middle. Yeah, you know, we've spent the last couple of years talking about, oh, well, the ACC's kind of down. Like, I feel like we're, we're not taking advantage of it. We're missing an opportunity. But then here we are. It's even more down than it's been. So we're we're primed to have like you said a, a friendlier schedule and there's an opportunity to have what for us would would be a, a special season like you know it's an opportunity that we had last year but the way that schedule shook out and the way injuries shook out that kind of fell apart and slipped out of our hands but looking at the schedule and it feels silly to say but I'm going to say it there's a very reasonable path to eight and four. And I don't think that's necessarily what's going to happen, but there is an incredibly reasonable path to eight and four right there. You can lose all the games that everyone says we will definitely lose and still go eight and four. There's a hundred percent a path to eight and four. That is not crazy or out of question. Um, you read any of these guides, Phil Steele, Athlon Sports, any of them will tell you that 4-0 is very much on the table for Syracuse. And I, looking at that three-game stretch in the middle, I, I think you really need – yeah, minimum have to be 3-1, and one, but 4-0 would be even better. Um, my biggest concern in that, that first four games, right, obviously at Purdue, a, a night game in, in, on prime time on network television against the Big Ten is going to be tough. Yeah, I don't they're, care such who a, it is. they're such a wild card. You really don't know what you're getting in Purdue this year. I'm not sure Purdue knows what they're getting in Purdue this year. But um, and my it's, other, still, it's still yeah. a Big Ten road game, like, like you said. I, I, I will say I think we're lucky that their roster has had some turnover in yeah. Purdue because remember how that game ended last year. Oh, yeah. If if those key players, O'Connell, and I'm sorry, I forget what the wide receiver's name was, but they lost some key players. If those same kids were, were coming into this game, they would remember that game and how chippy it ended and how upset they were to, to blow that game. And I, I think we would have been in some real trouble. Um, but, but on paper, Purdue is, is beatable. I feel like a broken record. What else can you say preseason on paper, on paper? on But yeah. but they, they lost a lot of talent, and, and they should be – a, a beatable team. Not that we should be expected to win, but that it is a winnable game. I, I will say another game, though, in this early stretch that, that has me concerned in an odd way is, is Army. And the reason I, I say this, and, and Army we should be, Army's starting quarterback going into this year likely threw one pass last year. One pass. Army is very one-dimensional. They, they, they're going to wear us down. They run. That's actually not the part I'm worried about. Uh, the part I'm worried about is Army's linemen tend to be smaller um, because they obviously have to hit height and weight, right, um, for the military. And as such, they tend to block low. 
and they tend to block into knees and legs. And my biggest concern uh, there is losing linemen to leg injuries. That does right happen before the toughest stretch of the season. Yeah, that that is a part. Uh, that is a common thing when you play the academies, be it Army, Navy, or Air Force. Syracuse has not had to do this in several, several, several years. Not since before we were there. Um, and that is the that is something I, I am more concerned about. That game is is less about the result, more about getting out of that with injuries. Sure. Uh, with, or, you know, I think that's something that that's very possible there. And it's just how they block at the academies. You got to put enough points on the board so that those guys don't have to play in the second half. Yeah. And and look, I think this is a good enough Syracuse team. I think they could spring a surprise. You know, I always say uh, you're going to generally lose a game that you expect to win and you're going to win a game you expect to lose. And, and there are games in there that I think could be winnable. Um, I think UNC on the road, you know, I read on UNC. There's a lot of questions about their defense. Their, their roster in, in its entirety is, is not that, that special is not that impressive. They have one of the best couple of players in the conference and who's, you know, a, a game changer and probably a, an, a high NFL caliber player, but he can't win the game by himself. And he's good enough where that, that can happen. You know, he could take over the game and that's kind of what I'm worried about. A a mobile quarterback who can throw it. Like he, he could probably just torch us and that's it. But there's an opportunity there. Just that UNC as an entire team isn't a great roster this year. And they, they may be overrated. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible. Um, and I, they're a team too. That if something would happen to Drake May early in the season, they would be That's a completely it. different team. That's yeah, it. absolutely. Um, and then in terms of like that game, you think you could win that that you should win that you might lose. I mean, I look at Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech on the road. You just never know. Georgia Tech finished four and four when they their new coach took over partway through the season last year. They won some games that they weren't expected to win. They you know they've got athletes. They'll find a way. Virginia Tech, who's really down. You look, they're filling in roster spots with FCS players, you know, former FCS players and whatnot. Not that they're not talented in their own right, but you know they're, they're having trouble recruiting right now at Virginia Tech. And, and they also are a team that kind of lacks an identity, but you play them on a Thursday night in Blacksburg, you just say, oh, geez. I mean, that just seems to be when they play their best. Is a weeknight game on ESPN in prime time. And uh, that feels really, really dangerous to me. For sure, yeah. Um, but let's break down a little bit of, of the team itself. Let, let's just talk kind of about the different pieces we've got here. So on offense, Garrett Schrader back for his final season at Syracuse. Uh, he had 1,445 yards his first season. His second season, 2,640, right? 65% completion percentage, 17 touchdowns to seven interceptions, 150 rushes for 684 yards. He was named... Um, the ACC had him listed as the fifth best returning quarterback in the conference. He's good. He's just good. There's just no question about and it. And if he doesn't get hurt last year, that, that ranking could be a, a spot or two higher because mm-hmm. his first half of the season, I mean, the way he was throwing the ball just made him a completely different player. He was a more than capable passer while still being a dynamic athlete. I think his health down the stretch really altered – the country's national opinion of him. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Running back is where the big change is on offense. Uh, Sean Tucker is gone. He's off to the NFL with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, LaQuint Allen, after being suspended in the spring, 
was going to be suspended for the season for, I guess he was in a fight or something like that. He was defending somebody in a fight uh, or defending himself. That's the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty, but we don't basic point. He sued the school saying it, it wasn't fair the way it was all done. And he's back. And to his credit, because I thought he might leave and he right. wouldn't have blamed yeah. him. Yeah, he uh, sued the school, settled because apparently he had a good case, and he's still here. Yeah, I, I thought he was gone. I was like, boy, this, he's going to hit the exit so fast. He's back. Um, you know, he only had four, 41 rushes for 291 yards last year because, well, we had Sean Tucker. But he has a lot of talent, and I think in that pinstripe ball, we saw what he can do and in terrible conditions. Yeah, yeah, the that field, field was, was not in yeah, that field was not in good shape and he did an unbelievable job on a very slippery field on a dry day with a slippery field by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that just tells you how bad it was. It's almost like it wasn't a football field. Yeah. Yeah, almost like it was made for baseball. Anyway, or like it was the Super Bowl field. <laughs> which remember that was terrible also bad, too. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, this is a guy, he averaged 6.7 yards a carry when he got the ball. He's got a lot of talent, and I think you're going to really see him have that breakout year this year. He looks to be a a more uh, capable receiver than what we saw from Sean Tucker, at least in his college career. We'll see what he does in the NFL. But He's also a, a little bigger. Yeah, he's a little bigger. Um, Sean Tucker was, you know, a, a great combination of that short, stocky, strong build, but with with a ton of speed. I mean, he was a, a literal track athlete at Syracuse. So um, those are big shoes to fill, but he's a very different back. So you don't want to draw too many comparisons, but he looks like he's primed to be a very productive player in his own right. I think you're going to see him get um, a lot of chunk yardage off check down passes more than what we saw with Sean Tucker. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the other running back behind him, Jawan Price. Don't really know a lot about him, but you'll probably see him in. I expected to see uh, more of him last year when he transferred from, I believe, New Mexico State. Yeah. Um, I thought he was going to be the the primary backup last year. Obviously, that speaks to LaQuint Allen's talent coming in as a true freshman. But Jawan Price played at New Mexico State. He was their primary back for a time. So the kid has, you know, major college experience and... Um, he should. We should see him as the the backup. And the what I'm excited about is that there's a whole stable of guys that once they they find their roles, there are many options to figure out who our change of paces are going to be. We got big backs, fast backs. There's there, there's a lot of kids in that room, and um, you know you just the the chances are high that two or three of them end up being uh, very successful players for us this year. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So you look up front, um, there are going to be some changes on the offensive line, but we still have Chris Blake. Uh, you're going to still have, uh, Enrique Cruz, uh, is going to be back again. And you're going to have Kalen Ellis as well at left guard. Uh, you're going to get Joe Moore probably at right tackle. Uh, center is going to be Josh Iloa. Uh, so, or most likely. So, uh, it'd be interesting to see up front um, that offensive line, though. I think there's enough pieces there uh, that they should still be able to, you know, guys with experience that I think should be able to do the work that's necessary to to protect the backs and protect Schrader. 
Yeah, it, it's a unit that, at least based on the the depth chart we've been given to start the season, which obviously take that with a grain of salt, but um, it's not not exactly what we were expecting to see this year. Um, there was there was more shuffling than expected. You had some transfers and a JUCO transfer making making the two deep, and um, you know there's a guy like Kalen Ellis who was productive last year and, and seemingly had his spot solidified. And now we're being told that he was beaten out in camp and he's a, a backup on the depth chart right now. Um, I think Dave Wallabaugh is a name that stands out from the offensive line unit. Obviously Syracuse loves their legacy guys. They love to keep it in the family. So it's, it's good to see a guy, but he's a an SEC level. You know, it was, it was Kentucky, but he still was an SEC caliber player coming in and uh, to come in having not been part of this team for all that long. Um, I'm not even sure he was part of uh, spring ball. I think he might have just come in in the fall, but to yeah. already win a job and it, it's it. You have to show something to knock a guy off his spot who is established and played well. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and know, the nice thing is, is what does that mean? You have depth. You have depth. Yeah, you have a guy that you know was set up to be a successful starter who's now a backup, which means he was supplanted by someone who was playing better than him. Um, Josh Aloa was our, our center last year, and um, he's a guy with experience at least, but it's not so surprising that, that he lost his spot. He didn't have a, a highly successful year, but... John Ray Reed, the JUCO transfer coming in, winning a job is is uh, exciting. You like to see these kids come into the program, and you like to see the talent that we're able to convince to come play here get to play because that means they're they're as good as the coaching staff thought, and and they're seeing things that they like, and they're giving them the opportunity. Yep. Let's uh, shift over to receivers. Uh, Aronde Gadsden the second. That's the other guy on offense that everybody's looking at. Uh, Second team preseason all ACC. Uh, I think preseason All America second team tight end uh, listed. Semantics. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he had sixty one receptions for nine hundred sixty nine yards last year. Average fifteen point nine yards a catch, six touchdowns. Number one in receiving is back. Number three in receiving is back. Damian Alford. Number five in receiving back. Trevor Pena's back. Um, we still have Demarcus Adams as well. Well, you're, you're missing a key guy here. Yeah. If I if I may intervene, go for it. Um, up until I believe it was the Purdue game that he got hurt. Isaiah Jones was the clear number two guy up until he hmm. seemingly dislocated his shoulder on an awkward tackle against Purdue. Yeah. Um, but he was he was playing great up until then. I've heard nothing but reassuring things about how he's been doing in camp throughout the preseason. So. A lot of people are saying that Isaiah Jones is going to be our, our number two guy and that there's some exciting things developing with him. And the nice thing is, is what this means, you've got options for Schrader, including Allen, who you already said can catch the ball too. A uh, lot of options for him to go to, and that could spread a defense out and spread a secondary out. Get some of the heat off um, Gadsden for sure. Um, and I know I just talked up Isaiah Jones, and I think – He's primed to have a good season, but the guy I'm actually most excited about, who I think is primed to actually step up as our secondary receiver, is Damian Alford. I think he's been building towards this for a while. Um, 
he and hasn't all... he hasn't quite been consistent enough yet. Yeah, but he's the guy who once a game makes a a grab that makes you say, "Holy moly!" Yeah, I, I remember last year, Joe, you and I were at the UConn game, and Damian Alford had a really big catch in that, and he had some moments. You said, "Here it is, he's turning it on," and then it didn't, it didn't turn happen. on. But he was always good for like a crazy grab or two here and there. Yeah. His longest catch last year was 58 yards. I mean, he he is a great receiver in moments, but it's like you said, he, he hasn't achieved the consistency yet. Yeah. Um, and now he really, he needs to be consistent. He needs yeah. to be consistent as that number two or three guy. Um, and because if God forbid anything happened to Gadsden, then he, he's going to be either one or two, right? Yeah. Depending on, on Isaiah Jones. A lot of this falls on Schrader too, because we've all seen – uh, Schrader had a tendency to basically say, I'm going to throw the ball to Aronde Gadsden on this play with his eyes. Frequently. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he would, no matter what happened, he would attempt to throw the ball to Gadsden and yeah. credit to Aronde. He was so good that a lot of times it didn't matter. He could go up and get a 50-50 ball or a less than 50-50 ball and come up with the catch. But yeah. Schrader's got to find a way to not telegraph so much and having some more reliable options may, may help alleviate some of those issues. Absolutely. Uh, so it'll be very exciting to see there. Uh, let's switch to defense. Um, boy, there's a lot back <laughs> and you, you always, you know, we were worried about the secondary and what was lost there, but you turn around and you look and look at the, the people who've come in. Jaden Bellamy from Notre Dame, Jaden Gold from Nebraska. I think we got somebody else from Nebraska coming in. You've Just got recently, yeah. Yet you've got Elijah Clark there. I, I I can't believe I'm saying this in regards to Syracuse, but it was actually reloading. It wasn't as much recruiting; it's reloading. They have we, a yeah. We traded Tony White for Nebraska's secondary. Yeah, which isn't bad. <laughs> I mean, Nebraska didn't have a great year last year, but I think with better coaching, I I think you're going to get the results uh, from them yet. And and let's face it, they're not going to be facing, for the most part, the same level of competition Nebraska was facing either in the Big Ten. Um, so, um, plus they'll know Purdue when we play them, so that that works. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's reasons to be excited. There, linebacker is loaded. Wow. Marlo Wax, who was the number one player on defense last year, had 91 tackles, four and a half sacks, six tackles for a loss. You have Justin Barron back. He had 65 tackles last year. Stefan Thompson's going to be back. He was out last year with an injury. Are we considering Justin Barron a linebacker now? I know he's got kind of that rover hybrid role, but I always thought of him as a defensive back. So, you know, that's funny because they – well, yeah, okay. So in one of my guides, they have him listed as a rover, right? He's the he's the yeah. fifth guy in the three three five. Yeah. So I guess I I probably okay. I said that wrong. But it's the nature of the defense. Really, you could throw him in either one. Let's let's keep him with the linebackers. No, but we see Stefan Thompson, uh, who's not the starter. Who is not a starter? Right. You you could chalk that up to he's still working his way back. But the fact mm-hmm. is that other linebackers played well enough where Stefan Thompson is not a starter on the current two deep. Which again speaks to the depth. Yeah, which is good. Um, there's a lot of reasons to be be excited about this linebacking core because I think generally on a defense, the linebackers, that's the the key thing, right? Linebackers can play both parts. 
You know, they can play the backfield. They can play up front. If you have a strong linebacking core, I think the whole defense kind of could work around. Yeah. If, if you recall, when we were sitting in Yankee Stadium back in December, there was one kid who was playing his heart out in that game that really stood out, and that was Caden Bailey, yeah. who did make an appearance on the two deep this year, and I, I think we'll see him on the field a lot because he, he, you know, he showed up in that game and he played he a great game. Inter- he had, had interceptions, seemed to be involved in every tackle, and um, he played I, for a job. He, he played used for a that job. bowl game to play for a job, and he did it. And here he is. So I, I think we'll see him on the field a lot, even without injury. I think we'll see him on the field. The Stefan Thompson thing might just kind of be, eh, well. This kid had a great camp. Stefan was working his way back from injury. We'll reward him. We know Dino's two deeps don't mean a whole lot. Right. All these guys will be on the field. They will all see significant time. Absolutely. And because the Syracuse defense has been doing a lot. I mean, they run people in and out of that defense all the time because they have had the depth and now they have even more depth. And I think that that can confuse an offense too. When you have enough guys changing because – each guy has a different skill set, right? And how many games did we lose last year because our defense was gassed? A couple, at least a couple. A couple, but that was because the offense wasn't doing their job on their side of the ball. Yeah. A lot of those came later in the year. And again, you look later in the year this year, it's not quite as brutal. You know, sure. Playing... My, my, my point is more bodies and, and more competent yeah. players. It can only help. Fresh yeah. legs on the field more frequently. Defensive line, a lot of, lot of, you know, we got Caleb. A lot of new, a lot lot of of new, a lot of new, but good new, not necessarily scary new. Like Caleb Okachukwu was back. That's good. You know, Caleb Okachukwu had 35 tackles his first two seasons. Last year he had 48. (laughs) He had more in one season than he had in the previous two um, combined. Uh, Terry Lockett, right? He's, he's back. Uh, not a starter. But he's not a starter, right? So. Again, may not matter, but why? It, 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 I find it odd to not see him. So what do we think about that D-line? I mean, a lot of changes. You've got, you got the transfer from Alabama, Braylon Ingram. Um, didn't necessarily play a lot at Alabama, but he, you know, he got recruited by him, which is worth something. Also not on the two deep. Also not on the two deep. There's a lot of talented guys not in the two deep, and – Maybe that means we're going to see more than six guys frequently. I mean, I, I suppose that's possible, but um, especially if you if you look closely at the two deep, Kevin Jobity is the backup at both end positions. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's another guy um, that would slide in at some point. But I think I'm most surprised that Kayvon Darton kept his job. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, I don't want to I don't want to rag on the kid, but he played really well at times but against some tougher opponents I feel like he was really exposed for his lack of size and all the other guys at that position um the aforementioned transfer from Alabama even uh Elijah Fuentes Cundiff much bigger much more appropriate size for for a a nose tackle in a scheme where you only have three down linemen um he he, I'm just a little concerned about that but um, he did have games where he played really well. He's just undersized, even for the ACC's small tackle. Indeed, it, it's going to be really interesting. Now let's let's take a look. Now that the the thing that gets a little interesting, the part of the team that's going to look a lot different is special teams. Uh, so, 
there will be a new place kicker this year. Looks like it's going to be uh, Brady Denneberg. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> no, there's I, not much I mean, more to say. He's the he, kicker now. Was he on the team last year? I think so. I think he did he kickoffs was. last he year. He did kickoffs but... last year. Now he'll have to do the field goals as well. Yeah. He... That's, that's what happens when you are on the depth chart behind the statistically best kicker in school history. That's right. That's right. Punter, Jack Stonehouse, redshirt sophomore. Uh, we're going to be seeing Trevor Pena back as a punt returner yet again. So everybody, you know, have your blood pressure cuffs ready for when Trevor Pena's back there. Also <laughs> injured. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I don't know. Who do we think? How long is Pena out, though? Um, doesn't sound like a long time. Yeah. So it, it may even just be the first week. It's not worth having him out there, but it's it's primarily going to go to Demarcus Adams and Donovan Brown. Okay, so that'll be interesting to see. And then you know, but I always laugh because whenever Pena's back there, it's like, oh god, here we go. You know, is he going to hold on to it? Is he going to fumble it? What's he going to do? It's crazy. <laughs> um, I think he fumbled right in front of us last year, at one of those games. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, you, you look at this team, you know, as we went through, there's depth and that's, that's the biggest plus. I don't know. Like, you know, in some Joe, where, where do you see this, this 2023 version of Syracuse football? What are the positives? What are your biggest questions and, and how do you think they're going to do? Um, obviously, you know, to reiterate, I think the biggest positive is the depth think a lot of a lot of our collapses as seasons progress have to do with a lack of depth a couple guys get hurt and you don't really have enough bodies to to replace them and keep a competitive team on the field there have been multiple seasons in the last five years where it's been like you know week seven week eight and you're like dang dino really just can't even feel the competitive team at this point he's lost so many kids but hmm. um the depth is there the the talent seems to be better they seem to have brought in better and better talent each season, especially this year. Um, recruiting seems up. The ACC is down, so we may finally get another year where we see the conference is down. We're healthy. Uh, uh, this Syracuse team, healthy, I think, is capable of winning um, eight games, nine games in a really miraculous season. I, I'm, I'm not quite that optimistic, but... Yeah. I think your biggest question mark is how truly healthy is Garrett Schrader? Yep. Had this surgery in the okay. offseason. He yep. had surgery where they kind of alluded to the fact that his throwing arm may never be 100% ever again. What exactly that means, we don't know yet. Um, how good is LaQuint Allen is the next question with the offense. And then which wide receiver is going to step up to take the heat off Gadsden? And on defense, I think it's going to be – uh, who your linemen are, who your defensive linemen are, who's going to step up, how are you going to generate pressure? Generating pressure was a big problem last year. They were unable to do it at times. I think um, you have a deep linebacking pool, and there are plenty of options for kids step, to step up, as, as we already discussed there. But the, the, I, I think Dennis Jacquez on the defensive line is who I'm most excited to see there. Think he's going to step up. I'm surprised that Francois Nolton has not appeared on the the two deep yet. He was a big recruit and a talented kid. I, I 
have been excited waiting to see him be able to contribute. Um, but it seems like that time isn't now yet. But the the schedule is much more favorable. I think what is going to determine how this season goes, as we alluded to before, is that three-game stretch where you play, is it Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State in that order? I believe. Um, Clemson, order, North Carolina, Florida State. Clemson, um, North Carolina, Florida State, yeah. yeah honestly, full disclosure, I think, I think we're going 0-3 in those games. Yep. And what decides the season is going to come down to whether they have the fortitude to mentally overcome that hurdle of, all right, we went 4-0, and we're riding high, season's going great, and then you lose three in a row. And are they going to say, here we go again? Or are they going to say, back half the schedule is there for us to take? These games are all winnable. Yeah, The way they respond to, to that three-game stretch will determine whether this is a successful season or not. You can lose all three of those games and then lose that ridiculous game at Yankee Stadium to Pitt. And you can still win eight games. So, you know, the old, you're going to win one that you don't expect to, you're going to lose when you don't expect to. I I see this as a seven-win team. Honestly, I do. Um, Obviously, things can happen, and I, I tend to err on the more optimistic side most seasons, and I've been wrong plenty. But I, I truly see this roster as a seven-win team. That's where I have them. I have them at seven and five. I think uh, they're going to start strong, as they tend to play September pretty well. Uh, I think they're going to have trouble in that three-game stretch. Although, like I said, I, I could see them pulling a surprise maybe against like a UNC, but um, I doubt it. I think they're going to be four and three. Um, uh, it's all about how they respond to it. And, uh, and that's why I really don't want to see them start three and one because then there's the potential of them hitting the bye week at three and four. And I don't know how this team responds to that. Um, and let's face it, Dino hasn't done great coming out of bye weeks. And then you go play Virginia tech. And I would hate the idea of being three and five cruising into November and having to win three or four. Um, that would not be a good situation. With that said, I think they're going to find their way to be seven and five. Um, I like the depth. I like the fact that you got Schrader there as a leader. Um, I think the key to the whole season is his health. If he would go down, I know Del Rio Wilson is better maybe than he was last year, but I don't think they would have the kind of success that they're going to have with Schrader um, just because of experience. Um, I'm pretty happy with the defensive depth but I do have questions about the D-line. I just, you know, I'd like to see that in action. <laughs> um, uh, you know, last year they were kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they did really well in moments and then they really struggled in the back half of the season. So I, I, I def, you know, they were a little Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde and I kind of want to see that. Um, but I'm going to say seven and five. I, I think they're going to be seven and five. I think we're bowling for the second straight year. You look at all the services, they generally have Syracuse in a bowl game. The consensus seems to be the Fenway Bowl. <laughs> so we'll see if it turns out to be that. The preseason bowl projections are are meaningless, but it is kind of – it's at least good to see people think they're going to make it. So, Yep, I'm right there with you. Um, it's going to be an interesting year in the ACC, I think, just on a broader sense. Uh, preseason poll had Clemson first, Florida State second. I think that's going to be reversed. I think Clemson, there are 
questions yet. They're going to be a better Clemson in the last couple of years, but there are questions. I think Florida State's the better team on paper. So I, I, I think Florida State's going to win the conference this year. Keep in mind, there's no divisions this year. No Atlantic, no Coastal. The two best teams play each other, even if they already played each other. So um, very possibly you have Clemson, Florida State in the ACC title game in December. Uh, you know, UNC, it all depends on Drake May. NC State is going to be solid this year. They had one first-place vote in the preseason poll. I want to know who that was. Uh, Miami, Duke's supposed to be a good team this year. Uh, we don't play them, but uh, they're supposed to be pretty decent. They're tied for sixth in the poll. Pitt's also tied for sixth in the poll. Pitt's going to look different. A lot of different players there. Uh, Louisville's supposed to bounce back a bit. Wake's going to look different. Syracuse was 10th in the poll. And they have Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, BC, and UVA uh, bringing up the rear there. So uh, we'll be an interesting year uh, in the ACC. Uh, and an important year for the ACC for the reason that we're going to roll into. Uh, Time to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> will the uh, ACC exist? Will the ACC exist? Yeah. So conference realignment reared its ugly head the last month uh, in some pretty extreme ways. Um, if you say, well, God, this seems to happen every 10 years. You're right. It does happen every 10 years because it basically coincides with whenever the media deals are done for these conferences, namely the Big Ten and the SEC. And um, after Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were going to the SEC in 2021, and the Big 12 went and added UCF, Houston, Cincy, and BYU. And then last September, USC and UCLA announced that they would move to the Big 10. Um, that uh, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA moves are happening for next season, 2024. But after that, the media deals kind of all started. Big 10 pulled a coup um, earlier this year, and they achieved getting the noon game on Fox, the 3.30 game on CBS, and the 7 p.m., a primetime 7 p.m. game every week of the season on NBC, which also boxes Notre Dame into all their home games being in the afternoon <laughs> because they still have that NBC contract for the Notre Dame home games. Uh, SEC will be all on ESPN and ESPN's networks, including the SEC network and ABC. Um, both of those... So to give you an idea, schools in the Big Ten and the SEC right now are going to make about $30 million more per year than any school in the ACC from the media deal, or in the Big 12 for that matter. And that has led to further chaos. At the begin In an ACC meeting earlier this year, seven schools in the ACC announced that they were going to look at the grant of rights, that their lawyers were looking at the grant of rights, which is the deal that basically keeps all these schools in the ACC through 2036 because the ACC controls their media. Those are the seven schools that admitted it. Let's be honest, all 15 schools that are members of the ACC, including Notre Dame and everything but football, have their lawyers looking at this. And that was basically acknowledged. Everybody's looked at it. Can they get out? Fast forward to July 28th, Colorado announced that they were moving to the Big 12 while the Pac-12 was trying to negotiate their media deal with Apple TV to stream in a way like the MLS does. August 4th, Oregon and Washington announced that they were moving to the Big 10. So now the Big 10, in case you want to know, that would take the Big 10 in 2024 to 18 teams, including four teams on the West Coast. Uh, then... Same day, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State announced they were leaving for the Big 12, joining Colorado, moving back to the Big 12, starting in 2024. That same week, Florida State's Board of Trustees had an open meeting. Board member says it's not when we leave the ACC, or it's not if we leave the ACC, it's when. 
They're raising money to pay the $120 million fee to get out of the conference. It's going to cost more because there's going to be a lawsuit over the grant of rights. Um, but they will be in the conference at least two more years because they missed the August 15th date to get out. Which brings us to where we are right now, which is the ACC is trying to save itself by voting, potentially as we speak here on a Tuesday, to add Cal, Stanford, and noted and SMU from noted Atlantic Coast City, Dallas. The straw poll earlier this month, five schools voted against. UNC, NC State, FSU, and Clemson were four of them. And then I think it was Virginia Tech was also against. It was Virginia Tech or Virginia, but they flipped. So now there's four votes against. You need 12 votes out of 15 to get them into the conference, which means this is why they're meeting this week. If one of either Florida State, Clemson, UNC, or NC State flip, they will join. The rumors are NC State might flip. It'll be interesting. And the question is, does it even save the ACC? The Big Ten is apparently looking south. Uh, Big Ten's basically playing geography, right? They, they have the whole Midwest. They have the Northeast. They grabbed, right, Rutgers and Maryland to get, like, that New York City, Washington, D.C. area a decade ago. Now they went and grabbed L.A. and the Pacific Northwest. They apparently want to go south. And there's talk about that they were talking to Florida State and Clemson at the beginning of the month. There has also been talk that they're eyeing North Carolina and Virginia, uh, which would both fit the uh, Big Ten um, in more than one way, both athletically and academically. It's interesting, Joe. (laughs) I'm just a little confused about Virginia. Are they really that much better off in in football than we are like why are they desirable just location location and they're a member of the aau Mm. Uh, every big 10 team is a member of the aau nancy canner pulled syracuse out of the aau which now makes syracuse not really an option for the big 10 and the big 10 already has that region penn state can get you new york and, and northeast virginia gets you a new area um, and it's another team to hold up is look, look at this great academic school, same with North Carolina. Um, and it gets you closer to the South. Now the question is, does UNC, UNC being a state university and NC state being a state university, it sounds like there's a possibility that the government of North Carolina might force them to act together. Mm. And it does ask whether there's a voting block happening and UNC and NC State are voting the same way on this Cal Stanford SMU thing. Um, yay politics getting involved in college sports. Uh, it, it, it's, it's wild. And the question is, does Cal Stanford really add that much to the ACC, right? You're just you're treading water. You're just grasping at, at whatever you can at this point. It, Clearly, the the sport is heading towards a format where you're going to have two two super leagues that are where your national championship is going to come from. Right. Um, whether it's you know however long it takes to get all the teams that that they want, and however much of an uphill battle Clemson and Florida State have to join that club, eventually they will. They will. They'll get there. It's the way it's going. Just because that's going to happen doesn't mean that whatever comes of the leftovers isn't still going to be college football. And like anyone who thinks the sport outside of the SEC and the Big Ten is going to die, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. You know, 
it may have somewhat more of a minor league feel than it already does, but you already have groups, group of five teams that, that play really good football in competitive conferences. And I, I think even though this will change the landscape of the sport and, and we're obviously slated to be in the leftovers as opposed to the who's who, um, it doesn't mean that what's left isn't going to be good football, isn't going to be exciting football, and won't still be competitive. Yeah, and I think the more I've thought about this, you know, the, the ways that this could go, uh, I think Syracuse, it's going to be fine. Um, we're, not whether... com- we're not looking to compete for national titles as it is. Exactly. We're never going to get back to that. So it's... we need to embrace what's next, and hopefully it's being paired with schools that are more of our peers competitively. Here's, here's, here's the ways I see this playing. Um, I think Florida State and Clemson are going to find their way out. And I think Miami's going to find its way out too. Because I think Miami's going to find a home in probably the SEC. Um, and I think UNC and Virginia, if they really want to find their way, they're going to find their way. But there are going to be some pieces left over. And that's going to be Syracuse. It's going to be Boston College. I think Pitt might get left out. I think Louisville might get left out. Um, I think two of the, it's hard to believe, but I think Duke and you and, and Duke and wake are going to get left out, you know, because this isn't about basketball. Let's be very clear. This basketball is not what this is about. This is only about one sport. This is about football and Duke doesn't bring the football. Um, even though they're, they're decent this year and, and they've been better over the last several years. Um, they just don't bring enough of the interest. And so I think you're going to either have pieces of the ACC left, and it's just going to be Syracuse, BC, maybe Pitt, depending on what the Big 12 decides to do, Duke, Wake Forest, maybe a couple teams get brought in like in East Carolina, could end up having Cal and Stanford, I don't know. So there's that option, which I probably the most likely scenario. Um, I'm going to throw, here's another scenario. This is the one that might excite a few Big East fans is the idea of Syracuse and some of these schools actually going home back to the Big East and you have a Big East football conference again that would actually basically look like what Big East looked like around 2003. It would be Boston College, Syracuse, Virginia Tech with like, you know, depending Louisville and who wasn't in at that time, but like with also the possibility of like Duke and Wake Forest in the Big East, uh, you know, and, and you'd have this odd amalgamation of like the ACC and the Big East. I think that's a possibility. I don't consider that necessarily an overly likely possibility, but it's maybe, right? You'd have UConn too, right? Um, this one was one I thought of last night. This is a little bit of a strange one. Is uh, and I, I'm glad, Joe, that you're willing to just listen to my life. <laughs> I'm, Ran- I'm intrigued. Random musing. So here, here's a strange one. The Big Twelve seems to be like really like playing geography, like grab bag, like <laughs> in the same way that the Big Ten is. Right? They went and they grabbed Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State out west. They grabbed Central Florida from Florida, right from the south. And I looked and I'm like, well, what portion of the country has the Big 12 not tapped into? And it's the Northeast. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
It's not, and I really thought it through. I'm like, you know, if they're trying to play, like, can it be three leagues going big time, right? Big. Let's be honest. Big 12 is playing for it to be three teams to separate out in football. They're trying to be number three. They're, they're really, trying really trying. Really hard to be number three. And I could see them, but they also care probably more about basketball than the other two. Because you've got Kansas, you've got Baylor, right? You've got some... I could see them saying, well, let's go grab some Northeast stuff. You could go get Pitt, which is an option. But Pitt, you're already close to West Virginia and Cincinnati. But it does give you a rivalry. Go get Syracuse. You go get Boston College, potentially, if you want New England. Syracuse actually would be an intriguing ad for the Big 12 in this scenario. Because... If they want to potentially put, hear me out, the basketball tournament in New York City once or twice, now they have a connection to New York. Mm-hmm. And Syracuse has the basketball history, and you compare them with Kansas and Kansas State and Iowa State and Baylor. And it, you could build, and you could go get Duke and be in the Southeast. And all of a sudden, the Big 12 has like Duke, Syracuse, West Virginia, Kansas, Baylor, and you'd have a coast to coast Big 12. And then they turn and say, Here's our 20-team conference. We're, can we be number three at the table? You'll never get as much as the Big Ten and the SEC media-wise because the schools tend to be a little bit smaller and not as big a deal. But at the same time, I, I could see that happening. And, and I thought about that. I'm like, you know, that is a logical finale to this too. I could sure. see that happening. And then you're, um, you're definitely creating a world where – your Olympic sports have to break off and do oh. their own thing because it's not feasible or sustainable for them to travel in these conferences that are being set up. The other yeah. sports just can't do it. I, I agree. It's You're at the point now. You have to look at this the way hockey does it. College hockey, the conferences are all over the place because you have schools that are Division Two that play Division One hockey. You got schools that are FCS that play Division One hockey. And you ever look, the hockey conferences are all over the place. Notre Dame is a member of the Big Ten in hockey. Um, Boston College is in like the Northeast Conference or something like that, or you know, like the conferences are all over the place because they have to like fit in with each other and and fit geographically. And I think that's what you're going to have to do. Uh, you have no choice uh, because this is not going to be sustainable, I think, for the Olympic sports long term, especially if Cal and Stanford are playing against schools on the East Coast most of the time. And by the way, Stanford is considered widely the best athletic department in the country. They have 40 sports, and it's basically the birthplace of American Olympians, right? Uh, their Olympic sports are incredible. When, ever since they've had that Director's Cup, that's based mm-hmm. off of athletics and academics. They've had it for 26 years. Stanford has won that cup 23 times of the 26 times it's been given out. So for them, keeping the Olympic sports is going to be really important to Stanford. Um, and I agree. I think you're going to have to start. Football has to be separated out and maybe basketball. But beyond that, you're going to have to re-regionalize in some way. You just cannot be asking these soccer teams and field hockey and volleyball to be going across the country all the time. The only thing you could do is if you did it in a grouping, right? I talked to a friend who used to swim for Florida State. You know, you could say, we're going to have a plane. We're taking field hockey and we're taking volleyball and we're taking whatever other fall sport, you know, soccer, and we're going out and 
you know, like in the case of the Big Ten, right? Or well, let's say in the ACC and the, all those Syracuse, and we're going and we're playing Stanford on Thursday or Friday, and we're playing Cal on Saturday or Sunday, and then we fly all back together, and you just do it all at once in one trip. The problem there's, is for those. There's, a, there's yeah. a lot of academic ramifications to that then for these kids in other sports who are actually true student athletes. Oh yeah, it's um. You know, I think the person who said some really interesting stuff on this is Jay Billis. Um, I, I he he's been talking about this a lot, and, and let's call this what it is: it's lifting the veil on what we've known for a long time, and that is that college football is is different. College football is is basically professional football, and it is driving the bus right now. And there's a lot of people <laughs> in back rooms making. I, I don't know if they're really making deals. I mean, they're telling us what they're doing, but there's a lot of moving parts right now. And uh, I, I, it's very clear to me that nobody's thinking about the ramifications. I saw one of the Big Ten guys said after this move was made a couple of weeks ago, well, we're, we're thinking about how to make this West Coast thing work. And it's like, oh, good. I'm glad to see you didn't think about that at all before you just jumped <laughs> and added these schools. I don't know. I, I feel like I've I've kind of hogged this discussion, and I I I I'll let you jump in here, Joe. I don't want to. I don't want to. Honestly, Matt. I mean that that was pretty comprehensive. I think that covered it. I don't really have a lot to add. Um, yeah, I you know as try as the Big Twelve might, I just don't I don't see them being able to put together anything that would allow them to be included at the table. Yeah, I mean they're going to try, and 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 their trying is going to be because if the ACC collapses, SEC, Big Ten, and Big Twelve are all going to make grabs at random at at various ACC schools based on what they want, um, and then the pieces left will be some left over of the ACC or do the Big East thing I mentioned or go to the American Athletic Conference or something like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, things are changing, but um, its effect on Syracuse actually may not be as much as people think. A- at the end of the day, I think Syracuse is largely going to be in the same place they are right now. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, in fact, they may actually be playing more competitive games than they they have been. To be honest, they might they might actually be in a better position uh, competitively. Yeah, F- finding a, a more comfortable landing spot competitively is going to be what keeps some of these football programs alive. Like, like us, you know, you, you, you kind of throw out the pipe dream of ever really getting back to, to glory, but that is, was exactly that. It was a pipe dream that was never going to happen. So we need to be okay amongst the leftovers and find a, a spot where we can exist and hopefully thrive. Yeah. And of course, on all this, and we'll, we'll do the last thing, is, is the question of Notre Dame. So the ACC contract with Notre Dame is that technically Notre Dame is supposed to join the ACC. Let's be honest, that that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, no, Notre Dame is the pretty girl kissing the ACC under the stands, um, but is turning and batting her eyes at the Big Ten uh, every, every time she has a chance. <laughs> True. It's uh, and it's been it's been that way for for a long time, and and I still think ultimately Notre Dame's going to end up in the Big Ten. I think they're going to find their way there. Notre Dame is tied to the ACC for as long as it is convenient and beneficial for Notre Dame. Exactly. 
by the way, I think it is interesting that Notre Dame has a vote in who gets added to the ACC, even though they're not a full member. Right. And oh, yeah. they get to vote, but oh, we don't we don't want to be in in. Oh wait, what? There's a there's a global pandemic and college football has been turned upside down. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna come play with you guys for a little while. Yeah, and and Jack Swarbuck, the athletic director at Notre Dame, has been the biggest advocate of adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU to the ACC. And and I'm still not sure what SMU, like how they got thrown into this. Nothing against them is kind of random. SMU, by the way, is really into the idea of being into the ACC. They have agreed. They said that they are willing to forego any of the media money for the first seven years as a member of the conference. They just want to live. (laughs) They are really into this idea. And I think Stanford and Cal have already offered to take um, partial money the first several years. So there would be a pool of cash. That would just be handed out to all the full-time members of the ACC. Um, and I'm sure Notre Dame as well, because they find a way to get cash too. Um, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really, really interesting. I like that these pseudo-ACC schools and the, the programs they're seeking are, are still like very – they're schools that are viewed very positively academically. Oh, and I think that's a big part of it. Take note that nobody's talking about Washington State and Oregon State. And I don't think it has to do with academics. I think that has to do with the market, right? Pullman, Washington, and Corvallis, Oregon, don't necessarily bring a massive fan base with it. No offense to those. And by the way, if I was running the ACC, I'd go add them too. There's no reason. At this point, you're the ACC. Best, Best pieces are off the board except for Notre Dame. Go crazy. Go go conquer like Napoleon conquered Europe, okay? Go grab Cal Stanford. Go grab Oregon State, Washington State. Take the Atlantic. Make it all. Call it the All-Coast Conference. It's still the ACC. Go grab San Diego State, Boise State. Go nuts. Go get ECU and UConn. Go to 24. Beat everybody to 24. Make the Big Ten, the SEC, turn around and go, what? <laughs> go big or go home. Hell, go to 28. Four divisions of seven. Last two. We'll just have our own little playoff. We don't need the other guys. Last two weeks of the season. Hear me out. Last two weeks of the season is uh, flex scheduling. December madness. Best team from best division winner versus the worst division winner. Second best versus third best. They play winners, play winners, losers, play losers. And just do that all the way down the seven the the s- rankings of seven all the way down. How you know what you would get attention. You would get attention from the media because yeah, your your championship in your you know in conference would be done earlier than everybody else. But you'd be the only conference with flex scheduling the last two weeks of the season right. to make good matchups, like to force good matchups. ACC titles decided the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and the matchup is decided the week before. In flex scheduling. Come on. People would watch. People would watch. <laughs> Hire me. I can run the ACC. You, Matt, you solved college football. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, if, if if everything made sense, you know, people would do something logical. But that's not what's going to happen. ACC is playing 
I, I'll say this, and and I'll fi- I promise I'll end the discussion on this. Is is this the ACC is making the same mistake the Big East made, and the Big East moved too late and got eaten, and the ACC is relying on this grant of rights working, and they're they're going to move too late and they're going to get eaten um, because the teams who went out are going to get out, and that conference is either going to just be worth less than it was. Uh, or it's going to completely dissolve, and everybody's going to scatter to new homes, wherever those may be. So on that cheery note, uh, the good thing is is that we are about to just focus on football, and at least the last for the next season of college football ever. Here, the it last is. season ever. Yeah, uh, ACC still probably have at least two years the way it currently looks, but uh, enjoy college football 4 p.m on saturday syracuse plays colgate uh let me give it 48 10 mm. Hughes. i'm gonna say 56 to 7 all right sounds good i'll take either of those scores uh and we will talk to you next week uh we'll talk about what happened against colgate we'll talk about the western michigan game We hopefully will not be talking about any injuries, and we may have to talk about Stanford and Cal being in the ACC. We'll find out. Uh, By the time this drops, that could actually happen. So, look, until next time, first of all, if you have the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, make sure to let us know uh, where it is. We just want to know that it is safe. Until next time, for Joe Shell, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 